chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be in verses 22 through 39. While you're turning there, I, w- I want to share this with you. I went to Walmart yesterday, and uh, I'm so proud of myself. I can go through Walmart and check myself out. I run the little scanner thing, and the funny thing about it is you want to say thank you on the way out. I'm not sure what I'm thanking them for, but I guess thank for the privilege of being my own cashier. So I've got my buggy full of a couple bags, and I go out to the car, and I'm putting the bags in the car. And after I got all the bags in the car, I notice there's one item in the bottom of the buggy that I didn't ring out. And I'm standing there, and this was the surprising part for me. I struggled. Let me just throw this in the car. Nobody will know. I got this for free. And I was just shocked by where my mind went. And I'm standing there thinking, well, the right thing is to go back in and pay for it, but I gotta walk all the way back in there. I don't wanna do that. I gotta put my mask on. I gotta go check myself out and thank them for whatever privilege they've given me and all that. And, and nobody will know Walmart's a big corporation. They're not gonna miss this one little package of pita bread. I was really disappointed in myself. I thought, I thought I was a better Christian than to have thoughts like that. And I realized I, I can't control my thoughts. I can't stop myself from going there. And I thought to myself, when I'm standing there by my car, I'm thought, what a hopeless loss I am. I can't do this. Kind of reminded me of something I read when I was, I was going through a counseling course where a guy walks into a counselor and he says, I feel so hopeless. And the counselor says, well, why don't you explain to me why you feel hopeless? He says, because of my past, because of everything I've done. And the counselor said, well, okay, well, that's in the past, that's gone. Surely by now you're feeling better about yourself. And he said to the counselor, well, I'm not doing so good now either. I felt that way. So is, is that true of us? Are, are we in a hopeless situation? You know, maybe, maybe you don't have those thoughts of I could, I could keep this package, I could, I could steal this thing. Maybe you're doing okay with the Lord and, and you don't struggle with the same things, but we could easily look around ourselves and think that this is a hopeless situation. I mean, you know, I've been talking about the news for a long time. Watch that for a half hour if you don't feel hopeless. It'll drive you there. You know, we've got everybody's running around. We've got masks on. We, you know, we, we can't come in here and sing. We can't do the things that we feel like we want to be able to do as a body of Christ. The political landscape is terrible. The economic landscape is not much better. So is this a hopeless situation? As we look forward, where do we find hope? Are we without hope? Well, last week we talked about the parable of the sower. And what we found out is that as believers in everything we do, we put God on display. So what I love about what Jesus is doing in Luke is he kind of puts his stuff out there and then he shows you how to walk through it. And, and in the process, we find out that maybe the guys back then in the first century might have felt a little bit hopeless as well. 
So th th this week we're going to see a spectacular example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the lesson that we're going to learn today is that hope, brothers and sisters, hope should be in our hearts and should be on our lips. We are not in a hopeless situation. Hope should be in our hearts and on our lips. So my sermon today is of pigs and prosperity. You know how much I love alliteration. This is part 21 of God's Love for Everyone, our ongoing series in Luke. So we're going to see three types of fear in this passage today. In verses 22 through 25, we're going to see a fear that preserves. In verses 26 through 33, we're going to see a fear that destroys. And in verse 34 through 39, we will see a fear that separates. So let's take a look at this first type of fear. It's a fear that preser pre preserves. Verse 22, one day he, this is Jesus, and again, we have Luke playing pretty loose with chronology. He doesn't say how long after the previous events. He just says one day. He got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now let me show you what we're talking about. Here's a map of Israel, and uh, we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. It's in northern Israel. It's shaded by uh, the red circle near the top of the map there. So they get in the boat. The Sea of Galilee at its widest point is three miles. And it's somewhere around 11 miles, maybe 15 miles long, depending on where you measure it. Okay, so it, it's not really a sea. It, it's just a big lake. So in verse 23, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This was taken from the top of Mount Arbel, uh, 1,500 feet uh, overlooking the, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the Jordan River empties into the Sea of Galilee at its northernmost point. And winds come whipping down the Jordan Valley, which was cut by the Jordan River, and enter onto the sea. And at the same time, over on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee are the Golan Heights. They're about 1,500 feet high. So these winds come down the Jordan Valley, and we have winds swooping down off the Golan Heights. The Jordan Valley winds are cool. The Golan Heights winds are warm and moist. And they can create some pretty incredible storms. And so the, this vortex causes, and the Sea of Galilee is an average of 30 feet deep. And when these winds whip up, the waves can become enormous. There are times you can see the bottom of, of, of the sea. And so the disciples are caught up in one of these incredible storms. They've seen them before, but this one is so scary that it causes alarm. And so in verse 24, and they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. So if we take a look in Mark, they go to him and they say, don't you care? Don't you see that we're dying? Okay, and, and now we need to think about this. Because we all find ourselves in situations where we think the Lord might be asleep. And that he doesn't care for the situation that we're in. And this is the accusation they make. Now, make no difference that he said, let's go to the other side, and then took a nap. They are completely overwhelmed by their circumstances. They've forgotten 
what the Lord said they were going to do. And when the waves come crashing into the boat, and they know that the boat could founder, you know, the Jews back then were not noted for their swimming capabilities. Matter of fact, they had a great and healthy apprehension for the water. So they go back and they wake him up and say, do something! And he rebuked the waves and the wind, and there was calm. Now we've seen this type of rebuke before. It happened in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in Capernaum. Uh, he goes to Peter's house. Peter's mother has a fever. Uh, they take Peter's mother, and Jesus rebukes the fever. So they've seen Jesus move in this type of authority, but not in this realm before. And they were good Jews. They would know that even more significantly, we see the same thing in Psalm 104. Okay, this is David talking about God. Psalm 104, verse 5, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. He covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. And at your rebuke, David says to God, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they may not again cover the earth. So the disciples know that God can rebuke the wind and the waves. And they see Jesus doing the same thing. They see Jesus doing what only God can do. So they watch it, and I'm sure their jaws dropping down. And Jesus looks at them in verse 25 and says, Where is your faith? Now, Jesus is not critiquing them for not summoning up enough sincerity to survive the storm. He's not, he's not lambasting them for not building enough faith up in themselves. He's saying to them, didn't you hear what I said? Did you not hear the commitment that I made to you when we got in the boat? Do you have no faith in what I promise you? I said we were going to the other side. So all these things are happening, and is it any wonder that the reaction that we see in the disciples is this? They were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. The silent question they're asking is, is he God? Now, the key is they're afraid. But it's not, it's not a crippling fear. It's a fear that leads to awe and respect and worship. It's a fear that, that leads them to an even closer walk with the one that they're with, the one who commands the wind and the water. It's a fear that preserves the relationships and protects the ones that God loves. I got a lesson, a personal lesson in and what this type of fear is like early in the ministry. I've been in Martinsburg, West Virginia, the, the uh, Veterans Administration Hospital. Uh, there's a friend of somebody in, in the church, and I'd been up there twice, and this guy was terminal, and he was in bad shape, and I promised I would come and try and visit him every two weeks or so, and I walked into his room, and when I'd stopped at the nurse's desk before I went in, I asked the nurse how he was doing, and the nurse just kind of went like this. 
And so I walked in his room, and he's in bed, and he's trembling, and he's crying. And I went over, and I said, are you okay? He said, John, I just got a glimpse of the reality that soon I will be in the presence of God. And it scared me. I said, it's okay, you don't have anything to be afraid of. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not that type of scared. It's a scared that makes me love him even more. It's a fear that preserves. It's a fear that protects. It's a fear that comforts. It's a fear that should cause us to worship. It's a good fear. Take a look at the fear that destroys. Verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now here's, again, a map of the Sea of Galilee. You can see the red arrows show the route they're taking. They're going the longest possible trip they can take on the Sea of Galilee, almost. Verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So Jesus gets to this land of the Gentiles, and the first thing he runs into is what? A homeless guy. He's a homeless guy. He doesn't live in the city. He's out there, out there in the tombs. He's near the water. Okay, so here's a picture of the area that Jesus probably landed on. This is on, on that, the east side, the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, looking towards Tiberias. Just a few miles north of this is a hilly area. It's rugged with cliffs. So that's kind of the setting for this little scenario here. And so in verse 28, when he, this man with demons, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The demon is talking to Christ. He knows who he is. He knows he's the son of the most high God. Even Jesus hasn't said this yet. And the demon is afraid. He's afraid that Jesus is here to torment him. Verse 29, for he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. In verse 30, Jesus then, then asked, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And look at this in verse 31. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. They're so afraid of Jesus. They're like, please don't send us into the abyss. They recognize that he has the authority. They recognize that he has the power. They recognize that he's the son of God. They know more about Jesus Christ at this point than the disciples do. And we know, we know three things about this man. Watch this. He's possessed of a multitude of demons. He has no clothing. And he is utterly alone. Nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to be with him. People are afraid of him. He lives an isolated life. 
totally without contact in anybody. We know one thing about the demons. They're afraid of Christ. They know that Christ has authority over them. They know that Christ can do with them as he wishes. Verse 32, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, the demons, begged him to let them enter the, the pigs. So he gave them permission. Verse 33, then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So we have another type of fear here. And it is a fear of God and his authority. Now, this is not the same reverential, worshipful fear that the disciples had. This is the fear that one has of a powerful enemy. The fear that one has of an enemy that knows that, that, that he can defeat them. One that can destroy. And that's exactly what happens right there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The demons are destroyed. Now, whether or not they're in eternal destruction is not the point of the story here. Okay? Because Jesus is trying to show us not only that he has authority over the demons, but he's giving us a peek into the end times. Because ultimately, Christ has authority over all evil. And we find this in Revelation 22. Starting with verse 10. Now, and and this, is, this is the voice coming out of heaven talking to John the Apostle. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, to a Greek, when they hear Alpha and Omega, they're not thinking beginning of the alphabet and the end of the alphabet. They're talking about the entire alphabet and everything the alphabet would spell. So Jesus says, I have authority over all creation. So the demons, evildoers, unholy people have a good reason to fear God because they know that in the end they're going to be destroyed. So we have this fear that preserves, draws closer to God. We have a fear that destroys. There's one more type of fear. And this is a fear that separates. We see this starting in verse 34. When herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. 35, then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So I want you to look at the man now. Okay? He's, he's, it, this is a snapshot of the transformation that we go through when we encounter Jesus Christ. But it's also, it's also a preview of the end times. So he's a new man. He's got a new life. The demons are gone. He has clothing. And he is no longer alone. And the fact that the demons are gone are a precursor to the fact that one day all evil and all evildoers will be gone. 
The fact that the man has new clothing is a preview of the fact that one day all those who believe in Jesus Christ will be clothed in righteousness. And he's no longer alone, and it's just a preview of the believer's presence in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. With Jesus, this man will never be alone again. And look at him. He's seated at Jesus' feet. He recognizes what Jesus has done. He's taken the posture of a student looking up at the master who's teaching him and equipping him. And one day, all of us who call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior will be seated in the same place. So, this should make the people of the town happy, right? I mean, Jesus just come and done something fantastic. Maybe he can do the same thing for them. Oh, oh no, no, it's not right. <laughs> Verse 37. Then all the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with what? Great fear. The fear of separation. So he got into the boat and he returned. So here's the fear that sets up a wall. Here's a fear that separates people from the answer to all their problems, from their salvation. You know what, maybe, maybe they were a little overwhelmed by what happened, but we know the nature of people. I mean, I experienced it yesterday in the Walmart parking lot. Yeah. So they're more likely, they're upset over losing the pigs. I mean, this was obviously a primary source of revenue for these people, and now they were all drowned in the sea. The man is healed, but watch this. Their prosperity has been threatened. Their way of life has been harmed. Who knows? Who knows what they're going to have to give up next in order for Jesus to remain in their lives? They're not willing to make the sacrifice. Having Jesus among them, they've already seen, is costly and scary. And it's too scary for them. It is too costly for them. So they ask him to leave, and they're separated from their Savior. They're separated from the source of their redemption. And they're separated by their fear of losing what they have. They're separated by their attachment to non-eternal things. Hmm. But, but look at the guy who's healed. Watch this. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. I, I, just let me give you an aside here. Do with this as you, as you will wish. The only case in Scripture where somebody actually begs Jesus to follow him, and he says no. That's not the lesson that's being taught here. It's just an interesting little sidebar. Okay? The ultimate lesson is this. When we make a commitment to Jesus Christ, some of us are going to be travelers. Some of us are going to take the gospel to regions we're unfamiliar with, or, or go far from where we started. Some people are going to minister right where they are. Jesus says, no, you're not going to follow me. You're going to go back to your hometown 
where everybody knows you, where everybody has seen what you've gone through, and tell them what God has done. He sends him back. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He doesn't go back and say what God did. He goes back and says what Jesus has done. And this word for proclaiming is he's teaching with passion. He's energetic. He's excited about what he has to say. And Jesus doesn't just depart and forget about these people. He leaves in their presence an evangelist, a preacher, whose charge is to tell them what Jesus has done. Their fear separated them from Jesus, but Jesus leaves hope among them. So we've seen our our three types of fear. We've seen the fear that preserves. We've seen uh, the, the, the one that draws us closer to Christ. We've seen a fear that destroys and uh, anything standing in front of the Lord when he comes to uh, take recompense over evil is going to be destroyed. And we see this fear that separates. And we pray that that's a temporary separation. But we've seen something a little bit different in this scenario as well. We've seen that Jesus has authority over the elements. Watch this. Jesus has authority over our environment. He has authority over our circumstances. And he has authority over evil. Think about this for a second. It means, it means brothers and sisters, that we have hope that Jesus has authority and can conquer our circumstances. He has authority over all the wind and all the waves that flash through our lives and sometimes threaten to overwhelm us. And it means that Jesus will conquer evil, the evil outside of us and the evil inside of us as well. And the beauty about that is that he's going to conquer the evil inside you and me without destroying us. Jesus said, where's your faith? The unspoken answer was in me. See, Jesus told us that he would take us to the other side. And all we have to do All we have to do is rest in him and trust him to do what he said he would do and know that he loves us so much that he died for us and promised us that we would be with him forever, that he would put new clothing on us, that he would give us a new life and never leave us alone. For that, hope should be in our hearts and on our lips. Praise God that we fear him in a way that preserves us. Praise God that we're not defined by our past. Amen? Praise God that we're not defined by our present. My mind betrayed me at Walmart. But the Spirit allows that to happen so that we become fully aware of how desperately we still need Christ in our lives and how faithful he is to be there and redeem us and draw us closer to the Father if we will just let him. All because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and me and everyone who calls on our name. Our future is filled with hope. 
We've read the end of the book. We know where it goes. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior, we'll be there together. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you bring hope, and our hope is in Christ, not in our own capabilities, not even in, in our own apprehension, Father, not even in our capability to, to work through a situation, but in you and you alone we have hope and we have a guarantee of our future and our eternity with you. We give you thanks, Father. We give you praise. We bow down before you and call you our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.